Hey, Angela here. Before we begin this episode, I'd like to invite you to join our Substack community, where you'll get more founder profiles, exclusive behind-the-scenes content, first access to all my original work, and access to our community group chat. All you have to do is click the link in the description. I love and appreciate your support. It's awesome to see all your comments, email responses, and reactions. I'm happy to share this journey with you. Thanks for tuning in. I think young people need opportunities to lead and to cultivate that gift. When I started my business, Illumined Leadership Solutions, I started it because I was leading in organizations and found that like there was a, a big disconnect between folks who are at the top of organizations and businesses and those who are actually, what I like to say, doing the work. And to me, leadership is not hierarchical. It's a culture. It can be a process of influence. And I think all of us essentially have the capacity and the ability to lead and to lead well. But I think we have to do it from a place of authenticity, a place of, you know, being who we are. You're listening to Honey and Hustle, a video podcast that inspires the dreamers, creators, and hustlers to make a business from their passions. I'm Angela Hollowell, and I'm a visual storyteller based in Durham, North Carolina. I sit down with creative entrepreneurs, nonprofit founders, and small business owners as they share their stories, the lessons they've learned throughout their careers, and how they've worked to make a positive impact. Hey everyone, my name is Angela Hollowell and I'm your host here at Honey and Hustle. And today I am joined by Margaret Brunson, who is the founder of Illuminated to Lead. But to only say that she's the founder is definitely an understatement. She's an incredible speaker, entrepreneur, PhD, grad student, graduate, and now an incredible guest for today. So thank you so much for being here with me, Margaret. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad to be here with you. Yeah. So again, for people who are watching and who may not be familiar with all the incredible work that you're doing here in Durham and beyond in the Triangle, a lot of your work centers around cultivating leadership for entrepreneurs, cultivating leadership for students, and cultivating leaders in businesses. So leaders in businesses range far beyond just whoever the founder of a company is, whoever the CEO is, whoever the manager is. A leader can be anyone. And so talk to me a little bit about why you start really so young, talking about leadership with students and teaching that in an educational and academic environment and why you felt like, you know, when you started Illuminated to Lead, that, you know, there are different facets of leadership that you felt were imperative to kind of talk about with different groups. Yeah. So my leadership work started when I was young. I was always a leader. And, you know, for some people, they felt like I was bossy. <laughs> It's kind of the label, especially girls, you know, we get labeled bossy, but, you know, I'm grateful that I had parents who saw my leadership gifts and helped to cultivate those when I was young. And so that's why I care a lot about cultivating leadership in all age groups. You know, I think, <clears throat> I think young people need opportunities to lead and to cultivate that gift. When I started my business, Illumined Leadership Solutions, I started it because I was leading in organizations and found that like there was a big disconnect between folks who are at the top of organizations and businesses and those who are actually what I like to say, doing the work. Um, and to me, leadership is not hierarchical. It's a culture. 
it can be a process of influence. And I think all of us essentially have the capacity and the ability to lead and to lead well. But I think we have to do it from a place of authenticity, a place of, you know, being who we are. And to answer your question, my leadership work is very much connected to helping people uncover their unique gifts, their unique purpose. And then how do you actually live that out in the world? And to me, that's leadership. So when you are leading and living from a place of authenticity, whether or not you're leading other people, essentially you're leading yourself and that's leadership. So I think it's important for all of us to tap into our leadership gifts and skills. Yeah, I think that's a beautiful way to put it. And it really kind of reminds me of a word that I want to get your take on when it comes to leadership. So I don't know if you've ever watched The Bear on Hulu or Succession on HBO, but one thing that gets used to describe people on those shows is green. You know, like there's this young chef who's fresh out. She has a lot of ideas. She's like, I'm ready to take this place to the next level. And he's like, I get it. I see your passion. I know you're smart. I'm sure you're right but you're too green, right? It's like you also, also, it's like, it's one thing to have ideas and have vision, but it's another thing to execute them, given the reality of the circumstances that, you know, exist now. And I think, I think that's part of the reason why I asked you about how being young plays into the equation, but, you know, in succession, the guy's older. He's like a middle-aged man, I guess you could say. So it's not necessarily like, Green is associated with age, but green can also be associated with experience, right? Mm -hmm. So how do you kind of talk through people, talk people through gaining meaningful leadership experience, even if they never see themselves at the head of a company, leading a movement, leading an organization, leading a team, that sort of thing? Yeah, that's such a good question. So I've not seen either of those, but I do have a really close friend who has asked me to start watching Succession. So I think we're going to start watching it soon. And I look forward to that. You know, the I, I posted recently that there's a difference between wisdom and advice. And I think, you know, you can be young and be wise. You can also be old and not wise. <laughs> I don't think age always comes with, I don't think wisdom necessarily always comes with age. I do think though, um, you know, we can be at a place. So I need to, I need to preface what I'm about to say by saying, I very much believe in the spirituality of things. And when I say spirituality, I mean, how we make meaning of our lives. As a qualitative researcher, I'm always looking at what is the meaning of this? You know, people who look at numbers, they're like, okay, the numbers don't lie. Well, the numbers don't lie, but they also tell a story. And so I'm always looking for the story. I'm always looking for the meaning. And I think when we are shaped by this sort of spiritual frame in terms of how are we making meaning of our lives, what purpose are we supposed to be serving in the world, it helps us to understand and make meaning of our experiences. And to say that someone is green okay, I get it. And at the same time, don't we want things to be green? (laughs) Like if you think about your grass, you want your grass to stay green. You don't want it to die and turn brown. And so I think there's a way to cultivate, to continue to cultivate innovation, to continue to cultivate newness, even as you experience life. And I think the way to do that is to make meaning of our experiences. 
So, you know, especially when I, I don't work with as many young people as I used to, but when I would work with young people, you know, I would, I would ask them or lead them through activities that help them make meaning of their experiences wherever they are. And of course, you continue to grow and you continue to cultivate new knowledge or hopefully wisdom along the way. But you can make meaning of where you are right now. And that shouldn't keep you from leading. It shouldn't keep you from trying new things. It shouldn't keep you from starting a business just because you're young. And I'm, I'm excited to see so many you know, college students starting businesses and and looking at entrepreneurship as a path and not like, oh, I got to graduate and get a job, you know, because that was the option for most of us. That was the option. We didn't even think about starting a business because it seemed like you had to have done a whole bunch of things and work for someone else before you could start a business. So I guess I say all that to say, like, you know, wisdom, wisdom is available to all of us. And I think the way that wisdom becomes available to us is when we make meaning of our experiences where we are. So. No, that's, that is a great segue into, you know, really delineating an entrepreneur from a leader. We talked about this kind of before we got recording, but, you know, we were talking about, you know, there's a difference between being an entrepreneur and a leader. Entrepreneurs can be leaders. Not all leaders are entrepreneurs. And they don't have to be, but, you know, you really talked about, you know, expressed that you felt like it was really important for leaders to start thinking like entrepreneurs. Why do you take that stance? Yeah. So I think for me, leadership, our models of leadership have always been, well, not always. Well, yeah, I think in the Western kind of American context, our models for leadership have always looked the same. You know, you've got this person at the top and they're responsible for all of these things that are happening within the organization. And, you know, there is a lot of pressure that comes with the hierarchical perspective of leadership where everything relies on you to make decisions and to know what you're doing. And I think it's easy to fall into a a space when you're a leader, especially within an organization or a company where you're just kind of maintaining the status quo. You know, you're you're just making sure that the ship doesn't sink. <laughs> and that is not that that doesn't always lend itself to collaboration, to creativity, to innovation, to trying new things. And so to be entrepreneurial as a leader is to always look for the new opportunities. It's to always look for even the people within your organization that can help you um, either help cultivate new vision or help to, you know, move a vision forward. And it's also entrepreneurship and being entrepreneurial means that you try things, you know, that you're stepping out and you're trying things and you're actually realizing that failure is not necessarily what you think it is, you know, because I think for many of us that are entrepreneurs or I'll just, I'll just speak for myself. I think that I am I am sort of redefining what failure is because if I'm shaping a life around learning and growing, then what exactly is failure? Because if I tried something and it didn't work out the way I wanted it to, did I learn something new? Did I grow from it? Is it something that can give me information to help me the next time? Yes. So then I'm like, well, what's failure? How did I fail? You know, so I think leadership 
that that incorporates or integrates this idea of entrepreneurship, particularly the entrepreneurial mindset, is to be more innovative, to be innovative about how to solve problems and also how to lead people. Because if you're an entrepreneur and you're leading people and you see them as leaders, then ultimately you're going to cultivate those same that same mindset within the people that you're working with. No, leaders make other leaders. I love That's it. That's right. Uh, That's right. Yeah. And hopefully good leaders make better leaders <laughs> instead yep. of just like. That's the hope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so pivoting just a little bit into some of the other work that you do surrounding speaking and doing workshops and coaching and things like that. Um, you have an important event here in North Carolina coming up to speak in front of Leadership North Carolina. Talk to me a little bit about how you structure keynote speaking and really getting in front of this next wave of business leaders now here in North Carolina. Yeah. So interestingly, I'm the daughter of a pastor. Um, my father is a, a clergy and was a full-time pastor you know, my whole life. And then my mom is a counselor. And so we've always, or I've always been drawn to public speaking. When I was young, young, it was something that would terrify me, but I did it anyway. Growing up in church in the South, you got to get up, make your little Easter speech. (laughs) But since I've become, you know, an adult, a professional, I really enjoy speaking. And so generally when I am asked to speak, it's because my work is in alignment with something that they something that the organization wants to some idea that the organization wants to move forward or put out there and i think i'm also called upon to like be inspiring or to be in, an inspiration to folks along with sort of this talking about these concepts that i teach on so generally for my for my keynotes i will combine that, you know, I'll combine inspiration and information, you know, because I do want people to think differently about some of the ways that we think about leadership. You know, I I want us to think differently about the culture and the time period that we're in as it relates to leadership and organizational culture and how we cultivate leadership culture. So my keynotes are generally that information, inspiration, a combination of the two. And I I really enjoy it. It's something that I could probably do every day because I I like to talk. (laughs) And I also like to talk when people can't talk back. (laughs) They have to listen to me. Oh, goodness gracious. Okay. That's just, you know, that's me being honest. (laughs) I appreciate your honesty. I appreciate it so much. (laughs) Oh, man. This episode was made possible with Savvy Cal. Scheduling meetings manually can be so time consuming. And scheduling video podcast interviews is no different. From making sure all your guests have the correct meeting link to following up with next steps, the list of emails goes on. But what if you could streamline this process with Savvy Cal? You can. Take the stress out of your scheduling workflows with customizable reminders, the ability to sync multiple calendars, and more at the link in the description. All right, let's get back to today's guest. So when you say you want to cultivate a culture of leadership, one thing that I realize is that cultivation of, you know, this 
new brand of leadership that is more open to newness, more open to opportunity, more open to having multiple different voices at the table, a lot of that doesn't really happen in the workplace. You know what I mean? And so I know that you have been working with Provident to really start to create a community of women leaders, female leaders who want to kind of maybe discuss their experiences as leaders and then work together collectively to find solutions for them and really elevate, you know, their ability to lead in whatever capacity they're in. So whether they're entrepreneur now at a job or organization, or they're looking to start their own business and scale up and, you know, hire and have more regular employees, part-time or full-time, you know, some most leadership principles translate very effectively in those environments. Talk to me a little bit about one, where the idea came from and two, where you see that going. Yeah. So this is something that's really exciting because I'm very passionate about particularly black women in leadership spaces or in leadership roles. And we are, we're expanding that audience to include women of color because we're finding that, you know, women of color inclusive of Black women and have unique experiences in leadership and entrepreneurship. But so the WELL, it stands for Women Embracing Life and Leadership, is a program that we're standing up in collaboration with Provident 1898, which is a Black-owned, Black-centric black Black co-working space in Durham, North Carolina. And so we're calling it the WELL, powered by Provident. And essentially, it's a community that we're building for women of color specifically who are entrepreneurs and or leaders within organizations, corporations, businesses. The idea of the well came from, you know, my passion as well as my colleague, um, Adrian Simmons, who's another coach. She coaches women busy, successful women. It came from our experiences as not only leaders, but also coaches. And what we notice with our clients who are like high achieving, high performing, they are ambitious and they're also exhausted and burn out and worn out. And they, they don't have the support that they need um, within their organization. And they, and, they, and they don't always know how to access help and support, you know, in their community or maybe they don't have community. And I think especially the entrepreneurial journey can be a lonely one. You know, it can be one where people don't always understand what you're going through. And I think it's similar when you find yourself in a space of leadership at particular levels. And so what we hope to do or what we're doing is building community through monthly connection events. We're also offering women who want to join the community. We're offering them a deeply discounted membership at the at Provident for co-working and to just also be in the space with each other. And then eventually we will start a coaching cohort. So it will be a group coaching cohort as well as some individual coaching. And the, the goal there is to help women develop practices, sustainable practices for wellness. I believe that we can lead well. And when I say lead well, not only effectively, but also lead from a place of wellness. That's very important to me. And so oftentimes people need tools. You know, we need tools in order to live well and lead well. And that's what we're hoping to do through the well. We've gotten a lot of support from Provident to move this forward. And my hope is also that we will begin to get support from these companies who say, 
they want to help their leaders and they want to do things, you know, that that will support especially black women being well. We've got lots of data that sh- that shows it's worth their while to invest in programs like this and not just, you know, giving people no shade to EA, you know, to employee assistance programs, but that's not always all that people need. You know, people need access to to other therapeutic modalities, people need access to community. And so it takes resources. And a lot of these companies have the resources and they need to invest it in their leaders. So that's our hope as well, is to keep pushing this out so that we can get support for this ongoing. I have a question that is possibly controversial, but I'm going to ask it anyway. I like it. Let's go. Um, So around May, June, 2020, we saw this uprising in companies and organizations who are really like, okay, we recognize that we are not, even though we may not be causing the problem, we're definitely not being a part of the solution. We don't have, you know, any centralized voices or centralized campaigns or initiatives within our organizations to be more inclusive, to support women, to support Black people, to support you know, our employees of color to um, support people with disabilities, to support queer folks, all the all the things that typically get left out of the conversation when we say, you know, well, what, how can I support you, right? Because a lot of times the people who are in leadership roles and organizations maybe don't identify or relate to these groups of people, right? So they can't really understand when you say, you know, hey, I need a, you know, I need to get a Friday off so I can, you know, pick up my kids from daycare early because they only do half days on Friday, right? Something like that. And I think in addition to workplace investments and maybe DEI officers or speakers like yourself who can come in and speak to, you know, maybe more inclusive leadership styles, that investment has waned dramatically since then. It was like we had this great bump. We had this great maybe six months to a year. And then it kind of, you know, those investments started to get less and less and really long-term change just did not happen by and large. So when you say, well, I want these companies to invest in the work that we're doing, you know, we know the importance of the work. We have the data to support that. We know the importance of the work. And not only that, we know that they have the resources to do it and that really this investment is going to ensure long-term success for these people in in these companies. What do you think would get them back on the way, them being the collective um, organizational power that exists in structured companies to invest continually and sustainably and with an eye for integrity? So really, you know, taking what they're learning and really implementing that for the long term. How, what do you feel like will make them turn back, turn that knob on again and say, okay, like we see what's happening. We see we need to really do this because what I'm reading right now is companies are like, okay, that was cool. We tried it. We feel better. I know, I know what woke means. And now we're just going to go back to the office. You know what I'm saying? And that's not really helping anybody. No, it's not. And I love this because I've been thinking about this a lot. You know, what we also saw was this uptick in DEI specific roles that were filled by black women who didn't have the support that they needed to move the work for even within their own organization. And I think part of that is because one, 
our context does not allow for us to imagine a healthy work environment, a healthy organizational culture. And the reason I always tell people I don't do DEI work is because I think DEI should be embedded in this larger work around cultural transformation. The reality is the American work culture is shifting, but people are not, leaders are not always, and owners, I would say, are not always paying attention to those shifts. So I think as it relates to DEI initiatives or inclusion or making sure that racial equity is centered, there has to be a vision for a healthy culture within your organization. If you don't have a clear vision for a healthy culture, then DEI just becomes like a checkbox. It becomes a thing that you embed within your HR department because, oh, DEI is only an HR thing. Let's just bring in more black and brown people and we can make it browner in here. Meanwhile, your white employees are don't like it either. <laughs> They're just not speaking up, right? So like the reality is, I think one, companies have to let go of this notion that like, oh, we have to see an increase in our bottom line. And this might be aspirational and even naive. And, you know, some people might see it as naive. But when when are we going to just do the right thing because it's the right thing to do? Like not because, oh, we're going to make more money if we invest in our staff. Like, you know, I even told our team, I don't want to sell that too much. Sure. business. I'm a business owner. Profit is important. Making enough money to support myself and to grow my business is important. But I also know if we center people, if we center their well-being, if we center the, the people who are always, you know, quote unquote, at the bottom or on the margins, everything else gets better. <laughs> like, it, not even, not just your bottom line, but like everything, your culture within your organization, people's engagement, people smiling when they walk through the door, people not calling out as much. Like we see, we've seen in micro ways where centering people's health and well-being and their mental health, their state of mind has benefits for all of us. And I think, you know, I was saying to someone the other day, like we still have not seen the longitudinal effects of the pandemic and we won't see them for some time now. So what we're doing now, what, what we do right now is very important. So you're making all your employees come back to the office. Why? <laughs> like, I've not heard any clear, I've not seen any data to support why people are bringing folks back to the office, except for, oh, it's because culture is suffering. Well, I would argue that your culture wasn't healthy before the pandemic. So what are you going to do differently to ensure a healthier work culture? So all that to say, I don't necessarily have an answer, but I'm willing to, I'm, I don't have an answer to what would make companies do the right thing, but I am a believer in like speaking to people's conscience. And if people have a conscience and, and say they want to do the right thing, then at some point you have to call people in and say, well, if you say you want to do the right thing and you say you don't know what to do, because I get sick of hearing that too, like we don't know what to do. Well, I'm giving you something to do, right? Like try this. Um, 
And then also listen to your people. Your people are also telling you what they need and what they want. And so, you know, I do I do see some organizations and companies that are trying, you know, but at the same time, just because you don't think it's working, we have to define what that means. What does it mean to, for it to work? The reality, the other reality is, you know, something that I tell organizations when I coach with their, when I coach their teams or coach their leaders, I will say, you know, it's a possibility that this person might leave because after working with me and they realize, oh, I'm not where I'm supposed to be. I need to go somewhere else. You need to be okay with that. I don't like promising, you know, organizations that, oh, this person can needs to stay for two years because we're, you know, we're paying for their coaching. I don't like that because actually if you have a miserable person in your organization, that's actually a risk to you. So why not be open to releasing them to do what they're supposed to do so that you can make space for someone who actually wants to be there? Again, I just have a very different perspective about what all of this is and what, what it all means. And to me, it's it's about centering humanity above anything else. And I think it, when we're able to do that, we'll actually be more abundant, not just in financial resources, but in other ways as well. I agree with everything you're saying. I just, again, just from my perspective, what I'm seeing on the ground and what I'm hearing from other people, it's like, that is just not the focus. It's like, we're centering workplace development. So if I'm investing in you to take this coaching from Dr. Margaret Brunson, you know, I expect that to reflect in, you know, an enhancement in your skill set and your ability to contribute to our organizational success. And the moment you stop doing that is the moment that I'm going to feel, you know, like it's time for you to go, Mm -hmm. or it's the moment that I'm going to feel like, you know, something needs to be shifted on behalf of management to ensure that you're doing what we feel like you should be doing in accordance with, you know, the money that we're paying you or whatever, you know, justification that, you know, companies use. But, you know, again, to your point, it's like, you know, when does it become less about developing people who center their lives around their work and more about developing people who have healthy lives so that they can be happy and fulfilled or contribute meaningfully to the work. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, So rephrasing how we think about the people that work with us and not just work for us and, you know, how we also as leaders work for the people that we hire, you know, we Mm -hmm. have a certain level of responsibility to take ourselves out of it and say, what can I do to make this a healthy and welcoming place for people to work? Yeah, I, I will say I will say just in quick response to that, the hope that I have really is because of Gen Z and how they're showing up, you know, in the workplace. And, you know, we can say what we want about Gen Z, but they are like not for any of it, you know, and I think they are going to be the generation that continues to push and demand for their humanity to be seen and to not be seen as a dollar amount. You know, I tell people all the time, you're not paying for people's time. You're paying for an outcome. You're paying for their knowledge, their work, their expertise. You're not paying for their time. So if you're allowing people to do things that enliven them and that help them feel more connected to themselves, watch what you get out of them. 
And I think it isn't necessarily about throwing away this idea of productivity and that people need to do their work. It's to say, what are we centering? If we're centering people's wellness and humanity, like watch what happens. And that's a scarcity mentality to feel like, oh, if I'm not getting my dollar's worth, if I'm not getting a return on my investment, this is a waste of my money. It's not. It's actually like, what are you what are you censoring? If you're censoring and believing in abundance, then you know that nothing is wasted. Um, so Gen Z gives me a lot of hope in that regard. Now, some other things I don't know, but <laughs> this topic, yes, I like the way they're showing up. They're not for it at all. Just in the defense of millennials, I do just want to say, I feel like we walk so they could run. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Because we were like the generation that got disenfranchised so quickly, like mm -hmm. right out of college, we thought we were going to be making, you know, definitely enough to have a good quality of life they and be able to pay to bills. <laughs> we were lied to, <laughs> bamboozled. We were hoodwinked. It yes. was all just <laughs> a scam. We were like, hold up, this is what organizations are paying for? Yeah. A bachelor's is, and me, I'm like, this is what people are paying for a master's degree? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You mean I spent all this time for this amount of money? Mm -hmm. So like, and this is how much my rent costs? Like something is not mm -hmm. adding up. And I think even now for Gen Z, when you talk about, oh, I love seeing college students that are starting businesses, they're like, okay, if I invest an equal amount of time as I did in college as I did into a business, how, where could I be? Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that is now the conversation that people are having you know mm -hmm. i think what's popular is for people to say these tiktokers they're like you know the og facebook you know group people that are like oh if i get somebody to like my page on ending world hunger then you know i think that's going to fix it you know that doesn't necessarily make you a leader mm -hmm. and or at least that was the critique of like maybe my generation and the generation above us it's like we would start these facebook groups or facebook pages and get people to like and comment and engage but it wouldn't necessarily equate to change in the real world. And that's I think right. that's how people look at this generation that's like in love with TikTok. They're like, okay, you make a little TikTok video, maybe it goes viral about politician, but at the end of the day, the policy doesn't change, right? Mm -hmm. So like they're not taking the organizational power of this generation seriously, mm -hmm. right? Because yeah, that video may not go off, but that doesn't mean they can't get a hundred people in the streets tomorrow. That's right. On these <laughs> your front door stuff. Like, That's you know? right. And I would say the increase in awareness from that also generates some accountability. So now, you know, <laughs> politicians or policymakers, they can't hide because you're going to get called out. So, you know, I think change is incremental. I think we're in a season of transformation, which means we we have to go through like these incremental changes in order to see this larger transformation. And I do think I, I do think it's making a difference because I was born in 1980. So I'm right in the middle of X and at the beginning of millennial and they call us the Zennials. And, you know, I think that I think that Watching how things unfold in real time is very different than you getting news like two days later. Like you act, we actually see things happening in real time. Now, there's a lot of, you know, probably negative consequences of that on our mental health because we're inundated with images. But at the same time, you know what's going on in your community as it's happening. And I think there's a level of accountability 
that happens as a result of that. So I'm going to hold on to hope that, you know, it's not just about them being cute on TikTok. It really is something that's creating a different level of accountability. Um, and this is be the last question that I asked, because I think that is, you know, just like a, a beautiful way to frame the conversation around our relationship with, you know, social media and our ability to create change in the real world is really what it comes down to is not only holding yourself accountable as the poster or as an advocate or as someone who's vocal about an issue, but also to translate that into meaningful leadership and meaningful change means one, acting on that in the real world and not just putting it on social media. Mm -hmm. And then also holding the people around you accountable for when the things that to be right and that you know to be true and to be done in a sense of integrity. So when you are, and accountability is probably the least fun thing about being a leader, right? Especially a business leader, because, you know, it also means, again, standing by those choices, standing by investments that you've made, standing by statements that you've made, even when maybe they don't age well or it doesn't feel good. How do you talk leaders of any, in any sector, in any industry through dealing with accountability the right way? Yeah. So what you just named before you asked the question, you really summarized what I call or what I see as transformative leadership. And that's the frame that I work from. So, you know, transformative leadership says that whatever I hope to do outside of myself, I also have to be willing to do within myself. And when I work with people, that is the frame I work from. So I'm working with people who are high achievers. They want to do good things in the world. They want to make an impact. And then there's also this question of, well, what are you willing to transform within yourself in order to do that? And ultimately, I think accountability becomes the pathway to like doing things in the world, making an impact in the world while also transforming within yourself. And, you know, accountability looks like telling on yourself. I say this all the time, like I tell on myself, you know, because I... We are human and I, this is a whole other topic, but I hate cancel culture because it actually means that we don't believe people can be transformed. But what we're asking for really is accountability. And when people live from a place of accountability, they're willing to own their actions. They're willing to own their mistakes. They're willing to tell on themselves. And they're also willing to be transparent about the process and the pathway to changing that thing or to transforming that thing within themselves. And we don't see that enough. We don't see enough. We see statements that people made. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. But what are you going to do? Like, how are you going to transform this so that it doesn't happen again? What are your what are your practices? What are your processes to really grow as a person? And so I think accountability also looks like getting really clear on what your values are and having a clear set of practices that help you to embody your values. Because I'm, my parents taught me very young, don't just listen to what people say, watch what they do. And if you're not, if those two things are not in alignment, then there has to be some accountability. People, you are opening yourself up for people to say something's not matching up here. So as a leadership coach, as someone who is a thought partner to leaders and a coach to leaders, 
I am that accountability partner to them. What are you doing to transform yourself and to be your best self and to live out your purpose and to embody your values so that you can make an impact in the world? I don't create formulaic cookie cutter plans for people to go and do all of these beautiful things in the world. Because to me, it's like who you are should inform what you do. We're human beings, not human doings. So if who we are is informing what we do, then we have to constantly be in a frame of growing, learning and growing. It's a cycle. So yeah, that's how I would sum that up. <laughs> I could talk I could talk about that for hours, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great summary. And I really appreciate you sharing your expertise and your wisdom and, you know, your approach to leadership coaching and accountability with us here today. So thank you so much. Yes, thank you for having me. I enjoyed it.